Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Good morning, City Walk. How are we doing this morning? It's, it's been, a, been a good morning so far. It is, it's cool to celebrate, and uh, we could take uh, you know, more time than you would want to stay here and just talk about all that God has done over this first year. And uh, what's exciting to me is, uh, as I look uh, across even this auditorium now, and I can't look too hard at you, or I'll start to, some of you specifically, uh, I'll start to get emotional because you're the reason that we came to Yuba City, and you guys have just graciously allowed us and our church to just be a part of your life, and, and it is, it's a tremendous honor to just be a part of a body like this. And uh, we're looking forward to what God has for us in the future. And it, it's funny how fast this year has gone. Uh, it, I, I look back at, at some of my Facebook memories of what was happening on this day last year. And it's like, man, that's already been a year. And, and I don't know if it, and I think it probably is, as you get a little bit older, I'm now 43 years old, it seems like time seems to move faster than it used to. And so a year goes by, and, and I'm getting to a spot in my life where I just really, and I think about this probably every single day as my time on earth you know, continues to move, I pray and I ask God, I really want my time on earth to matter. And whether my, my life goes till I'm 45 or till I'm 95, I want every moment to matter. And over this last month, we have taken some time, and we've been in a series kind of starting at the beginning of 2020, where we kind of begin to ask ourselves what a life might look like that run towards things that everyone else runs away from. What a life might look like that instead of avoiding things that were hard and scary, understood that on this side of our comfort zone usually isn't where we find God's best. It's usually on the other side of our comfort zone that, that we find God's best and what God has for us. We've asked ourselves, you know, what, what would a life look like? And we've looked at some characters in the Old Testament. We looked at a guy by the name of Benaiah. Benaiah was a guy that we know him because he was part of an elite group of warriors that David called his mighty men. And he was one of these 30 or 40 elite warriors that kind of came on the scene in David's life when actually David was running for his own life. David had been anointed king, but he was not king yet. In fact, he was running from the current King Saul. And while he was running, the scriptures tell us that these, these men came and kind of joined his group. And when they came, they didn't come with a really good resume. These guys came and the scriptures tell us that they were in trouble, they were in debt, things weren't going good in their life, they weren't guys that were like, man, these are the guys you want with you. And David took this group of kind of outlaws, this group of thugs, and he 
kind of developed these guys into the most loyal, faithful, courageous warriors in his entire army. And as you read through their story, and you can read in the Old Testament about some of the exploits of these guys, and we've looked at some of them over the last month, as you read about them, you read like, that. this can't be right. Like, I feel like I'm reading a comic book when I'm reading about these guys because of some of the exploits that they did. One of the guys, Benaiah, that we looked at, he, he was involved in a lot of things that you, you read and you're like, my goodness, this guy was like a man's man. He was awesome. But one of the things the scriptures say is, just says this. It says in 2 Samuel 23, he also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. Like just in the middle of, hey, he killed this guy, he killed this guy, he beat up this guy. Oh, by the way, it was snowing one day and he felt like picking a fight with a lion. And he went down and he struck down this lion. And, and you read stuff like that and you're like, man, why would you pick a fight with a lion? And why would you choose a snowy day, man? Choose a nice day where you have good footing. Why would you, why would you do that? Why, why were you a part of a group of men, the, these warriors that that seemed to just make it a regular thing to run towards things everybody else was running away from. Why did you guys do that? Why did you not play it safe? Why did you continually move out of your comfort zone into things that other people would avoid? And probably the same reason why they would do that is the same reason a guy by the name of Noah would spend decades of his life Building a boat when he probably had never seen rain. The same reason a guy by the name of Abraham and his wife Sarah would leave the comfort of their home to go to a place in a foreign country that from a human perspective they didn't belong but God had called them there. And then at the age of 90, Sarah was, and the age of 100, they have a kid. And, 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 for the, and the Bible says their whole life they lived in tents as foreigners, but they did that. They moved because God had called them. It's the same reason that a guy by the name of Moses, who at his, in his life had to at some point make a decision, would he suffer with the people of Israel, or would he go the route of being a, an Egyptian and enjoy all the power and pleasures of being an Egyptian, he could have done either, and he chose to go the route of suffering with the Israelites. Like, why would these people do this? Why would the, the writer of Hebrews, at the end of Hebrews 11, why would he tell us of people who gave the ultimate price? Why would people, look at Hebrews 11.35, why would they do this? It says this, some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mockings and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves in the earth. Why would these people do this? Simply put, these people chased the lions in their life and moved out of their comfort zone and moved to places that you would look at their life and, and say, why would you do that? Simply because of what they believed about God. 
See, these people, they believed deeply that God's promises are true and his way is best. God's promises are true and his way is best. They also believe that the reward is worth the effort. Why would you live your life this way? Why would you move into things that everyone else would run away from? Why would you be ridiculed and mocked for decades doing what God wanted you to do when it wasn't safe or comfortable? Simply put, because they believed God. They believed God's promises are true and his way is best. And these people were not perfect people. In fact, some of these people that we read about in the Old Testament and even that we've looked at over the past few weeks in Hebrews 11, they made monumental mistakes. But the thing that that the scriptures say gave them God's approval was not that they lived a perfect life, but that they had faith and believed God. Hebrews 11, 1, it starts like this. We looked at this a few weeks ago. It simply says, now faith is the assurance or confidence of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their accommodation, received God's approval. Why did they receive God's approval? Why did they receive God's commendation? Not because they lived a perfect life, but because they saw their life through the filter of their belief in God and they acted accordingly. Unfortunately, sometimes we read about people in the scriptures And we admire them without making a connection to our life. Like, oh man, that was cool, David. Wow, Moses, man, that must have been nice to kind of do the whole like Red Sea parting thing. I went, man, that's cool. But here's the thing sometimes I forget, and maybe you forget this as well. The same God that David, Moses, Noah, Abraham, Sarah prayed to is the same God today. And it's that same God who in history was looking for people who would be willing to believe him to the point of moving outside of what's comfortable into what was best. That same God is looking for those same people today. He's looking for the Abrahams, the Moses, the Sarahs, people that say, hey, I'm going to believe you and when nothing else makes sense, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to move towards what is best, not what is comfortable, because I believe you, God, above all. See, but it really comes down to this, because you're like, oh, yeah, right, that's great. But at the end of the day, each of us have to decide, like, am I signing up for that? Like, like, am I going to do this kind of casual Christian, kind of add Jesus to the tool belt life, Or am I signing up to see all of my life through the filter of my belief in God and move towards what that belief lays out for me, no matter what the cost? We have to make a choice. Will my life reflect the truth that God's promises are true and his way is best? Like when people look at Chris's life, when my life's over, will they look and say, Chris's life reflected That he believed that God's promises are true and his way is best. See, I I love this, that the writer of Hebrews, he he doesn't leave us hanging. After he's given us these examples to follow and he's kind of laid out the stories and he's laid out what faith and belief is, he gives us some insight into how this life might play out in our life. If you have your scriptures or you can look up at the screen or it'll be there in the app, 
Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Hebrews 12, verse 1. It says this. It says, therefore, which basically means as a result of, because everything I just said, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. The the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, because of all that I've said, I want to remind you that you are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And and this word witness doesn't mean spectator. It's not like all these people are like in, I've heard people say it this way, oh, they're all like in a in a big football stadium, all, you know, Moses is up there at Abraham and they're cheering you on. Well, um, that would be cool, but that's not what the writer's saying. But here's what the writer's saying is, hey, because these examples have, have laid out the path of faith, because we have all these people in, in biblical history that you can look at that have walked the life of believing God and they've, they've kind of cleared the path for you, they've, they've given you an example to follow because you have those. And because we have those, there's something that we should do. But, but here's what's cool, and, and you probably have this in your own life. We have some, you know, we can look back at Moses and Abraham and all that, but you know what? We can look back at some people that God's put in our life that we actually have seen and hang out with. And, and isn't that just an evidence of God's grace that he puts people in our life that walk the life of faith and leave us an example. One of those for me was a guy by the name of Roger Evans. Uh, Roger was, uh, I was about 11 years old when uh, Roger came to Heritage Baptist Church in Lakeland, Florida to be the youth pastor. And I wasn't quite in the youth group, but I remember when he came and his family came and uh, he, you know, whatever got voted into our church as our youth pastor. And so I was looking forward to, you know, getting into the youth group. And I remember getting into the youth group and Roger became one of my best friends. Uh, Roger was a big like workout guy and I was like a a little wimp middle schooler. And so I remember he, on on summer days, he would say, hey, we're going to go. I'm going to pick you up. We're going to go run around Lake Hollingsworth, which is a little three mile run, which for me at that point was way too long. And then we're going to go back to my house and, and we're going to work out. So me and my best friend Jim and his daughter Trisha did that. And, and we did that during the summer. And I'm embarrassed to say that Trisha outlifted me when we lifted weights. But Roger was very encouraging. And so that's kind of how our relationship started. We started by working out together. And, and over the years, Roger has been somebody that I literally, in, in 30 plus years of knowing him, have never heard him say anything negative. Like this is a guy that is the ultimate see the glass half full. Always encouraging, always humble, always unselfish. I mean, just constantly involved in people's lives and always helping whatever he could do. Always putting himself out for other people. And it was about five years ago that we received news uh, about Roger, that Roger just out of the blue, had come down with stomach cancer. And I remember being so surprised because I literally had told people, Roger will live to be like 100 years old because he doesn't worry about anything. He has no stress. And man, this guy's going to outlive everybody. But I remember he, he came down with this cancer and it was, I mean, it was bad from the very beginning. And I remember watching him journey through and I knew this is how he would handle it because this is him. 
He was always thinking of other people, even in his darkest moments. And I remember going to his funeral after he passed away just a few years ago, and just watching as our church at that point held probably 800 people, and it was full of people. And people just sharing about Roger and how he had impacted them and all the things that we were all nodding our heads because everything everybody was saying, we're like, yes, we've all experienced that with Roger. And I'm so thankful for people like Abraham and Moses and Sarah, but I'm really thankful also that God's put people like Roger in my life that have laid the path for me, that have shown me this is what it looks like to believe God in the good and in the bad times. And the writer of Hebrews says, therefore, since you're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Since you have this example to follow, since this path has been laid out for you, lay aside everything that's slowing you down. See, in this, in this uh, time period, when, when the writer of Hebrews was writing this, athletes would wear weights during their training. And so they would wear weights during their training, and then obviously when it was time to uh, not train and it was time to actually compete, they would remove all those weights so that they could not be slowed down by the weights. In, in our scenario, something that would be a little bit more contemporary, if you ever played baseball, a lot of you played baseball or softball. Well, you know, when you, you get kind of in the on-deck circle, you usually put some type of a weight on your bat, and you swing that a few times, and then when it's about time for you to get up to bat, you take that weight off, and you go hit, and your, your bat feels lighter. Nobody's ever going to run up to the plate with the weighted bat. Like, you're, you will not succeed. You will go over whatever t- amount of times you've been up to bat if you have a weighted bat. But, but the writer, he's saying, you know what? As you walk this life of faith, there's some weights on you that you, you need to remove those weights so that you can walk this life of faith in the best way possible. I remember when I was about uh, probably seventh grade. I had an uncle whose name was Chris as well. And he was about six, six or seven years older than me. So he, he, uh, was, he was more like a cousin than an uncle. But I remember he was an all-state swimmer. He did triathlons. He was involved in a lot of athletics. And I looked up to him a lot because of that. He went to, got a scholarship to college because of swimming. And, and I mean, he was just really good at that. I remember going and watching him. But I remember one time I was with him, and he was talking to me about you know, some of his dreams and, and what he was hoping to do with this. And I don't know how we got on this, but he told me, and I didn't know this yet, that the night before he goes to swim, like he shaves every piece of hair off his body, like legs, arms, I mean, just totally. And I remember, I'm like a middle school boy that's like begging God for hair on his legs. And I remember when my uncle told me this, I was like, are you serious? Like, my level of thinking you're a man just went down a little bit because you just told me you shave your legs on a regular basis. And I was a 12-year-old kid, and it didn't make any sense to me that a dude would shave his legs. I don't care if you are trying to swim. But when he explained it to me, he said this. He said, the reason I do that is because that little bit of resistance is enough to slow me down from winning. I was like, oh, I still think it's kind of weird, but I get it a little bit now. 
And, and this is what the writer, he's saying, you have this path laid out, this, this life of faith, and, and you need to get rid of those things that are weighing you down from running the race the best you can. And, and then he goes on after he talks about weights, and he says this. He says, let us lay aside every weight, but then he says, and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He says, he says, get rid of the weights, but also the sin that's so close. That, that sin that's so close. And, and he, what he's talking about is the sin of unbelief. Because he's just walked through an entire chapter of telling us about people that believed God even in the darkest moments. And now he's saying, hey, you have, you have that example to follow. I want you to walk that out. I want you to do it with endurance, not, not speed. I want you to do it with endurance. And I want you to get rid of the weights. I want you to get rid of the, the sin, the unbelief that you're so tempted to grab hold of. And I want you to run this thing out. And I want you to run it with the mindset of doing it for a long time faithfully, not quick. And then he says this. He says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He says, you've, you've got some examples that have laid the path that you can follow. But as you're walking this path of faith, as you're following their example, follow their example focused on the perfect example, the author, the finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ, the one who walked this out perfectly. And because of his perfection, he made a way for you to be redeemed and have a relationship with God. I want you to run this race, and I want you to run this race following the example of others, but I want you to run focused on the perfect example, Jesus who's the author and the finisher of our faith. And then what he does is he, he shares a little bit with us about Jesus and about his path, about his walk. He says this. He says, who for the joy that was set before him. I want you to look at that verse right there. There's a, a word that doesn't make sense. Who for the joy that was set before him. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you know that what Jesus went through probably wasn't the most fun. But the writer says, hey, there was joy for Jesus as he was walking out his path. He was doing it with joy ahead of him. Something that he was looking towards that gave him joy even in the midst of this walk. He says, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus experienced the greatest suffering in history. He was tortured physically in a way that caused shame. He was rejected emotionally and took on the weight of all sin. Think about it. Think about when you've done something that's, that's wrong and the guilt that comes with that. I mean, have you ever had that happen, like, man, where you just felt guilty because you know you did something that you shouldn't have done? Imagine having that guilt and that sin of all the people of all time on you. You can't even imagine it. It says, that's what Jesus, he endured the cross. He despised the shame. 
And then it says this, just to show that he triumphed. It says, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He was raised from the dead. He, he, he assumed a position of victory and triumph. And the writer of Hebrews says, hey, as you're walking out this path, as you're, you're moving towards what God has for you, and you're following the example of others, keep your eyes on Jesus, who is the perfect example of someone who walked with joy ahead of him and walked through some really tough waters to get there. And then the writer says this in verse 3. It says, Consider him, Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And, and this verse 4, he's like, just kind of, kind of poking a little bit, I think. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. By the way, you probably have never shed blood for Jesus yet, so it's not as bad as it could be. And that's kind of what he's saying as he's writing to these people. He says, consider Jesus. Because here's, here's what the writer knew. And you know this too, as, as I do. It's really easy to get discouraged and lose perspective. Isn't it? Even though we have such great examples to follow, even though we have the perfect example to focus on, it's really easy to lose perspective and get discouraged on this walk. And the writer of Hebrews reminds us that when this happens, to remember or consider Jesus. Remember what Jesus went through. Remember the, the joy that was before him and what he endured. And, and if we're honest, when we, when we go through tough times and when we're tempted to kind of move off the path, Jesus is about the third thing we consider. The, the first thing we're tempted to consider is we consider ourselves. Like my comfort my security, my reputation, when I'm going through a tough time and there's some, some trials and there's some tribulation, man, I'm, I'm tempted to consider and think about myself. But, but we're also tempted to consider others. When I'm going through a tough time and there's trials in my life, I'm looking at your life saying, wow, it's not going as bad for them. Well, they seem to have things better. Why is life going good for them when it's not going good for me? And, and it's easy to look at other people and say, man, we, we're better than them, but it seems like our life's going worse than theirs. And the writer, he's saying, man, when you lose perspective, get your eyes off of whatever they're on and back onto Jesus. So when it gets tough, remember Jesus. But also, man, remember Others that have given the ultimate price for us. Remember the apostles. Did you know that 11 of the 12 apostles were killed for their faith? And the 12th one, he, he didn't get off like easy. He was just boiled alive and then banished to an island. They just couldn't kill him, so they just banished him. So remember Jesus. Remember the apostles and others Remember that in more than 40 nations around the world today, Christians are being persecuted for their faith. In some of these nations, it is illegal to own a Bible, to share your faith Christ, to, to, to change your, your faith or teach your children about Jesus. You imagine being in a place you're not allowed to teach your kids about Jesus? Those who boldly follow Christ in, in spite of government edict or radical opposition can face harassment, arrest, torture, even death. 
Yet Christians continue to meet for worship and to witness for Christ. And the church in, re- in restricted nations is growing. So when, when we're tempted to, to, oh, this is too tough and I, I don't want to do this path. I, I don't want to see my life through my belief in God. I want to see it through something else because this is getting too hard. The scriptures say, remember Jesus. Remember those that have gone before Jesus, he he never promised easy, he promised victory, and we have to remember that. And and so it brings us to this question. What would your life look like if you committed to believe God in 2020 in a way you you never have? Like you're like, I've believed God and and, kind of done this thing, but but what if in, in 2020... You made a decision to believe God at a level that you've never believed God before. To to believe him so deeply and believe that his promises are true and his way is best. To look at everything in life through that belief. To look at all, all the things, the ups, the downs, and say God's ways are best. His promises are true and I'm going to believe that to my core. It would impact our relationships. It would impact our finances. It would impact our marriage. It would impact what we pursue, our goals. And honestly, for some of us, if you chose to believe God at a level that you've never believed God before, you would see radical change in your life this year. I'm talking like radical earth-shaking. My life is different because I believe God in a way I've never believed God. And I believe what he says is true. I believe his way is best, even if it isn't comfortable. If I believe that, it's going to change me. What would it look like? See, stepping out of my comfort zone, I wrote this in my notes, and, and chasing things that others run away from is not easy, but it is best. And here's what I promise. I promise you this. When you stand before Jesus and you see his nail-scarred hands, you will not regret believing and obeying God. I promise you. I promise you. You you won't look back and say, that wasn't what it was all cut up to be. No, no, you will not regret as you look at your Savior, you will not regret saying, you know what, I am going to go all out and believe God and obey him with my life, no matter what that means. And so what we want to do for is, is on your way out today, it's just a way to remember. We're going to give you, if, if you'd like one, uh, just a bracelet. I got it on here. It's, it's just a yellow bracelet, and it just says, Chase the Lion. We're going to give it to you on your way out, and this is just a, a little reminder that as we move out into our lives, it's just a little reminder that when we're tempted to play it safe, and do what is easy, which we are tempted to do that, and we will be even today. To remember that believing God and running towards his best is something that we'll never regret. And we want to remind ourselves that, man, believing God and living a life that follows him is worth everything. And we'll never regret it. And so on your way out today, I want you to pick up one of those if you'd like. As just a, a simple reminder, just to remind you to believe God and run towards what is best. Along with I- individual application, 
that we have, and there's a lot of individual application from this series. There's a lot of application for our gathering. And here's what I mean. It's really easy to, just like it is as an individual, to get comfortable as a church. It's really easy to get comfortable as a church and play it safe instead of remaining focused on the people we came here to reach. Like, it's real easy to, like, you know what? We can get 12 dozen donuts and feed everybody, and everybody likes everybody, and it's kind of cute, and it's, the room's starting to fill up, and man, this is getting comfortable. This is good. And we're not like always like, let's think of the most uncomfortable thing and let's all do that. No, I'm not, not going there either, but, but it's real easy when, you know, a year ago, man, we were just hoping like five people would come. And it's real easy to get to a spot like, you know what, okay, let's, this is good, let's just play it safe. Let's settle in. But we don't want to do that. We want to be a church that walks with people into a growing relationship with Jesus, whether there's somebody that's been following Jesus for a long time and isn't connected to a church, whether there's somebody that, man, hasn't been in church in a decade or two, or maybe there's somebody that they're not even sure what they believe about Jesus, they're not sure what they believe about faith, they're a little bit skeptical. Like, we want to be a church that walks with all of those people into a growing relationship with Jesus. And so as we begin to pray through and really consider how we could do that better in our second year, God really laid on our hearts three things that we want to move towards that we believe are going to help us better do that in our community. And so, so here's, here's what they are. There's three things. The first one is this. On March 1st at 930, we will hold our first monthly City Walk prayer gathering. You may not know this, but every Sunday at 9.30, we have a service in here for our bridge builders, those that volunteer. And so what we're going to do is on the first Sunday of the month is we're going to take that 9.30 service and we're going to open it up to our entire church and we're going to encourage you to come and to spend 30 minutes as a gathering praying for our city praying for our families, praying for those that are overseas doing ministry, and just really giving ourselves to prayer. And honestly, this is just a first step. Because, and we've talked about this before, those of us that, that serve as bridge builders, like we want to be a church where we don't pray before the work, prayer is the work. And so prayer's a big deal. And so that's the first thing is on March 1st at 930, and we'll remind you, we want to encourage you to come and give 30 minutes of your time to focused prayer, and then you'll be here before all the selfish people and be able to get your coffee early. Because Yeah, which is good. It's always good. That's always good. So that, that's the first thing. The second thing is this. Starting this Wednesday night, uh, we are going to have a city student's high school ministry that will begin this Wednesday night. Uh, it'll take place the same time. And here's, here's what we've done in the past. We started our youth ministry uh, about a month and a half, two months after we started our church, and we have been meeting all together, middle school and high school in one house. And uh, it's been a, been a good season, but here's what we realized. 12-year-olds don't like hanging out with 18 and 19-year-olds, and 18 and 19-year-olds don't like hanging out with 12-year-olds. And all the 12-year-olds in the room are like, yep, and all the 19-year-olds in the room are like, yes. And so, man, we, we have a burden to reach our city and the youth of our city. And so here's we're going to have this week starting, we're going to have two separate gatherings. The middle school ministry will meet 
where we currently have youth ministry. And on the next street over, a house I know very well, the high school ministry will be meeting and Matt Lynch will be leading that high school ministry uh, at my house. And so, and I won't be there so my kids can go and, and it'll be good for them. And so that's what we're going to do. And that's starting this week. And we're going to do that from now till Jesus comes back because we feel like that is going to help us better reach and disciple the young people of our community. And so we'll start that this week. And so that's the second thing. The third thing that, that we're going to be moving towards, and this is something that, uh, that we have been thinking about for a few uh, months, and honestly, this is something that's been on our heart since the dream phase of CityWalk Church. When we started CityWalk Church, we st- even before we started, we never started with the idea of just having one church. We started with the idea of being a church-planting church, so that... And we wanted to start and focus in our region, so the, the one-hour radius around us. And so we're going to take, we're, we're hoping, and, and you'll see why here in a second, to take a first step this Easter. And so we're going to have two Easter services here, just like we did last year on Sunday. And we're going to have a Saturday evening Easter service in Marysville, uh, like we didn't do last year. And here's, here's what, what we're going to do. Our... our prayer and our idea is that in Marysville, about 18 to 20 minutes from where we stand and sit right now, uh, there's a church on Hall Street that is a building that is rented on Saturday morning by a Seventh-day Adventist church. And then on Sunday afternoon, about three elderly people meet there when they're healthy enough to meet. And other than that, the building sits empty in the middle of hundreds of houses. And so the Southern Baptist has come to us and said, hey, here's a building. We know that you guys have a desire to help plant other churches. Do you guys want to do something? And we're like, well, we're definitely not ready to plant another church because we're like still cutting the birthday cake from year one. Uh, so we're not quite ready, but, but we will take a step. And so we said, hey, what about maybe having a Saturday evening Easter service there that will then coincide with us starting a city group in Marysville so that people that go to that service, there's a community right there. And then what we'll do is we'll encourage those people to be part of that community group and then to come here on normal Sundays with the idea that this is a first step in us possibly planting a church in Marysville in the next couple years. And so that's what we would like to do. And so let me kind of walk you through how this is going to happen, and, or if this is going to happen. God's provided us a building. We have a partner that's actually here this morning, NorCal, uh, a partner of our church that has already said to us, we will write the check for any expenses your church incurs for that service. So anything that it would cost your church outside of what you would normally spend for Easter weekend, we'll take care of that so money's not an issue. And so we've, we've got it paid for, we've got a building, we have been praying about it and talking about it as a leadership team for, uh, real, honestly, months. And this past Monday night, uh, we were sitting around Mark and Sharice's table with our, the directors, and we were basically having to make a decision on if we were going to do this. And all of us wanted to do it, but we came down to one thing that has been a tension that we could not get past And I said to our gathering, I said, okay, I'll just tell the church this on Sunday morning. And if if we can take care of this, we'll say yes. If we can't take care of this, then we'll say no. And here's the thing. 
As we were looking around the table and talking, Chris Dowdy, our, our faithful uh, family pastor, said, Chris, for us, staffing two services on Easter weekend in Yuba City and City Kids is going to be tough enough, let alone staffing another service the night before. He says, right now, we're having trouble staffing City Kids. And I said, dude, we're not going to be a church that's asking like, hey, more bricks, less straw. We refuse to burn people out so we can grow. Not ever going to happen. And so I said, here's what I'll do. I'll just tell the church. And so here's, here's the bottom line. If this happens, we say yes. If this doesn't happen, we say no. We need nine people that are currently not serving in a normal capacity in city kids that would commit to two things. The first thing is that they would commit to once a month for the next year serving city kids, just one time a month. I'd say, yeah, I can, I can give one of my Sunday mornings to invest in world changers over in city kids. And then the second thing is that they would commit that on Easter weekend that they would serve in one of the three services. So basically we're asking people for about 15 hours this next year is that nine people would invest 15 hours of their time once a month serving in city kids and then on that Easter weekend choosing one of the three services either in Marysville or Yuba City and serving. And if we can get nine people that say, yeah, I'll invest in kids because we're not looking for babysitters. We're looking for people that say children are our most precious asset at CityWalk Church and we don't babysit kids, we invest in world changers. And that's what we want to do in our ministry. And we need nine people that say, yes, I'll do that. I'll sign up once a month to serve, and I'll serve one service. And you know what that'll do for Chris Dowdy? Change the game for him. Change the game. And he's such a faithful guy, and he has such faithful people that serve over there on a regular basis. And so I wanted to throw that out to you. Because that is, man, we would love to go and do this service and, and reach that, that, that community in Marysville. But that's kind of the last box we have to check to make that happen. And so if you're here and you say, you know what, I'm, yes, I'm in, I can do that. Then what we want you to do is to take the, the card that's in front of you, close by, and where it's on the Next Steps card, there you can check a box that says, serve on Team City Walk. And then just right next to it, City Kids. And Chris will contact you and kind of, kind of walk you through, do the, any training you need, and, and get you scheduled. And so that's what we need a, us to do. And if we can make that happen, we'll do a service on Easter, Saturday night in Marysville, and also two here. And so it's going to be an exciting second year. And we're, we're excited, and we talked about this in our Bridge Builder service this morning. We're excited because we know that the scriptures tell us if we abide in Jesus... He brings forth fruit. And we want to be a church and individuals that presses into Jesus and then just watches whatever he does. And that's what this is all about. So let's pray. God, I thank you. We, could, we have so much to thank you for. Lord, we uh, thank you for this first year. We thank you for, uh, Lord, each of us. I thank you for what you've done in my life. You've done so much in my life over this first year. And God, I pray as we seek to move into year two and, and seek to do it with uh, just really following your path, following your will, having a heart for reaching our city and our region, 
God, I pray that you would guide us. I pray that you would encourage us. I pray for those that are here that are really kind of walking through some tough times and are having trouble believing you, God, I pray you would give them hope and encouragement. God, I pray that this year, more than any other year in our life, that this would be a year marked by believing that your word is true and your promises are true and your way is best. God, I thank you for all you've done And it's just an honor to watch you work and to just be a part of such a great gathering. In Jesus' name, amen.